Hey friends, Josh here. Just jumping in quickly to let you know, this is part one of a potentially two to three part interview that I did recently with Brad George. We didn't really understand while we were recording that the time really got away from us and I want to try and get these out regularly and I'm actually going to a Bandits game, a Border Bandits game in about an hour's time and Brad, if you're familiar with the Bandits, is the voice of the men's game call now and previous years has been the voice of both the women's and men's game call. So you'll probably recognize the voice. His story is way more interesting than I realized. And if you think you know him, you probably don't realize that the guy is more articulate and deep than you might expect. Really cool guy. Really enjoyable to talk to him outside of that basketball setting where everyone's under pressure too. He's a pretty relaxed dude, actually. So that was really pleasant because we had a really natural and relaxed conversation of which this is only one small part. So if I suddenly become less lazy, I'll make sure it's only a two-parter, but it could become three depending on that laziness level. Okay, enjoy. This is myself and Brad George talking about how he got up to moving to Griffith, New South Wales to start a breakfast show. So his time in radio, how he got into sports calling, his interest growing up, all the way through to when he got his first big role, which you'll hear about in the next episode, and how he got started, super interesting. Okay, let's do this thing. Hey everybody, welcome back to Punching Sideways, punchingsideways.com for all that action, and I'm here with Brad George, who is, if nothing else, if you're familiar with me, and you probably know some of the same people, is the voice of the Bandits among many other things. So the Bandits being the local basketball team. We won't go into naming right sponsors or anything tonight. We don't have to do any kind of calls. So just the Bandits for tonight. But he's also had a career in broadcasting, which I'm not sure you've had the chance to talk about at length recently, focused on putting that out to the local area as far as how did you actually get good at announcing, emceeing and broadcasting and the fact that you did a bit of travel to get that done away from the area. This show's a little bit different, Brad. I'm not sure if you've listened to it. We usually start with something that's happening right now and then we kind of backtrack and see how you got there. Throw it at me. So what is happening right at this minute that has you most excited when it comes to performing or whatever you're doing? Well, life in general has taken a, a massive turn for me in the last three weeks. Full-time employment's landed in the lab. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, it's been a while since I've had stable work with regards to just uh, once I finished up in radio, it was a matter of these bit part jobs that come along, hosting gigs, uh, looking after a football store in Griffith, uh, selling footy gear and things like that, and getting around the countryside and just filling in the gaps until I found something. And in the last month, I've started uh, at a local sign writing company over in Wodonga. And the learning curve is totally different from anything I've done in broadcasting, but they love the fact that I can talk to anyone and network. So obviously, that's a strength that's come from being in the media. And I can talk to anyone. I love talking to people, hearing their stories, and then telling them my story. And uh, welcome to the program. That's what we're here to do tonight. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's really exciting. And once again, congratulations. Mm. I know that we've known each other long enough that that was a goal 
maybe that wasn't out there to the public, but in no. private conversations that you and I had had, I knew that you were working on that. And it's not the easiest thing in the world. No. To just move from one career to a different. Especially when you're in your mid 40s yeah. and people look at you and they'll look at your resume and they'll see radio, radio, radio. Where are we going to put this bloke? What are we going to do with it? But my new boss, he uh, took a punt on me and already it's starting to pay dividends for him. And like you say, it's a total U-turn from what I've done in the media. I'm now out and about pushing truck curtains on people (laughs) and, yeah, we can put your image on a truck curtain and get it around the countryside or on signs or whatever the case might be. I'm sure there are skills from your media career, though, that have helped you be able to perform that job so well so quickly. So we might now go back and start talking about how you got to that point. Where do you want to go? So you're an Aubrey-Wodonga boy, born and bred? Aubrey, born and bred from about uh, 500 metres from where we're broadcasting at <laughs> yeah, the moment of recording tonight. Yes. We won't geolocate that too much, but it is pretty close. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. So I know a lot of people that I've met, particularly people locally that are in radio that you know have stayed here or have moved on to other careers around here. They came at the radio either through 2REM, which is a community station, or the previous version of, I'm not sure. They've got a good stable. Yeah, Yeah. they have. And there was a lot of music love amongst those people. So was that something that you had an interest in first and then you wanted to find a way to share the music you were into because that seems to be a focus of it Local wasn't actually music. No. no. It you like to hear your it, own it, voice in headphones? Oh, a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, look, it was initially sports. Uh, I was at a bit of a loose end in the early 90s. Once I finished school, I worked at K. We all did the Kmart thing. Yeah. And then I ended up in a photo lab. I've done some great jobs, photo <laughs> lab. And then ended up in a hardware store and the hardware store, local hardware store, uh, it went under. Uh, they just spending money they didn't have. And I was at a loose end and mum and I sat down and she said, what do you want to do? And I said, look, since year 10, I've been involved with 107.32 REM. I was actually there the day they switched over from 107.9, moved the dial back to 107.3. Wow. And I said, I'm keen to get into journalism or broadcasting or something like that. So it was... The passion for footy, I could see that maybe I wasn't going to make AFL, even though I was a reasonable footballer locally. I played under Brett Kirk's dad, Noel, here at North Albury. And from there, I sort of thought, well, I've got Kmart, I've got footy. Kmart is obviously there's money in that for me at the moment. And they were dangling the management cadetship in front of me, the carrot, so to speak. And... We looked at that, Mum and I, and she said, oh, look, Kmart might be the go. I was only 17, 18 at the time, and I wasn't sure where I wanted to head. I'd finished my HSC at Albury High, and it was a matter of make a decision. Was it going to go hard and try and play footy, which there was no money in at the time? you got to remember, we're talking early 90s when there was no, uh, what have they got now? They've got the TAC Cup, and yeah. they've got certain programs and academies. There's no Giants Academy or anything like that. Even though the Sydney Swans had sort of looked at me and that broke my heart because I thought I want to play for Collingwood. Everyone knows <laughs> I'm mad Collingwood and I thought my little game plan at the time was play really good at Sydney so then Collingwood would pick me up. But uh, 
it was a matter of make a decision there and then. And I ended up going down the Kmart path because, like I said, money was coming in. It was weekend work. I was making friends, socialising. Yeah. And footy and ended up dropping away and never really got back in. I can it. I can talk to just from my own family's experience of football in the early 90s. My second oldest brother, Jared, was playing in the VFA at the point where it was at its all-time zenith in strength, which was the late was 80s. the Liston Trophy, was it ever named after no, your family? No, I don't think so. I'm not <laughs> sure about that, but he was the starting ruckman for Coburg when they were the strongest mm. team in the VFA over several years. So that was the second best league in the country and when that league was the best it had ever been and there wasn't a whole lot of money for him. And in the 90s, there was no pathway for no. – it was either you were good enough, you played Teal Cup or uh, Italy footy, you were spotted at that level, and then uh, you'd just move on from there. Uh, Brett Kirk uh, from North Albury, same club. He was a little bit younger than me. And like I said, his dad uh, coached me in the under-17s. And he tried all sorts of things. He was sent back to North Albury, ended up dyeing his hair all sorts of colours just to catch the eye of the selectors. And look at him, he ended up winning a premiership with Sydney Swans. So Kmart decided, I guess Kmart became Was the, the decision. Yeah. yeah. So was that the radio, the local radio stuff, was that bubbling up around the same time? It was, yeah. it was. So, And through year, I started in year 10. I did work experience under Nancy Hodges at... Uh, 107.3 or 107.9 as it was at the time. And she was that far impressed. Everywhere I went, I did work experience at 2CO, as it was known in the days, the ABC, and 2AY under Frank Davison. And everyone just gave me glowing report on what I'd done. Even if it was just cleaning up things in the studio or Making it here you go. Making uh, tea and coffee, which I don't drink tea or coffee. I've got a coffee, a, a decaf here. <laughs> I don't drink caffeine after lunch, but I do have a decaf. What am I claim to fame? Is I should have got you to make it for me. Mate. Making tea and coffee for Torval and Dean when they're in town as a work experience student. Well, okay, that's nice. so. There you go, you, and you got that one right. Obviously, not too oh, much sugar in that I one. I had to ask a few people, but jeez, <laughs> I don't drink tea. So still does, to this day, does the milk go in first? Uh, no, I or does the water clue. go in first? Would never clue. I'm clue still today. Like I said, mid-40s, and I don't drink tea or coffee. I don't drink wine. How did you survive in the radio business? Especially we'll get to, we'll get to that Griffith, later. We'll get there, yeah. yeah. But uh, like I say... Sorry, so just to knuckle down on that for a sec, Brad, mm. when you say that people were generally impressed, obviously you wouldn't have called yourself a professional broadcaster, no. so they were, more impressed, they were more impressed with your focus and your work focus, ethic. Focus, work yeah. ethic, and the fact that I had a natural aptitude... And as I got on in my radio career, I could see that natural aptitude in others, yeah. younger people, and then I could see the ones that just didn't have it. They, they sure, they wanted to come in and have a crack at it. And, yeah. and there are other people that just haven't got that uh, X factor, if you want to call yeah. it that. So when you went back to community radio, obviously mm-hmm. I'm assuming that was happening. Were yeah. you doing a regular show through that whole period? Regular or? shows. I, have, I started off on a little... 5.30 show called Siren Time. It was something where I'd just read out local footy results, play a little bit of music, and then I'm trying to think, was it Mark Rosevear, who's now in real estate in Wodonga? He'd come in not long after me and then Michelle Petz a little later on in the afternoon. Michelle, I've got no idea. I haven't seen her for years. Wouldn't know where she is nowadays. If you're listening, Michelle, good day. But, Michelle. Uh, yeah, and then later on the night, uh, Ned Crowther had come in. 
and then the overnight program take over on a Saturday night. This is when predominantly a lot of the footy was played on a Friday and Saturday night. No Thursday games. You get at one Sydney Sunday game back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. So, yeah, so yeah. you were announcing the results of the VFL slash AFL. VFL, AFL, local <laughs> footy, uh, anything I could get my hands on to make me sound like a professional sportscaster. So just a space for people to be on the radio would have been, I guess, without all this technology we're using to do it at home, a rarity then. Uh-huh. What was the – and then you're going to a niche even deeper than that of you were interested mostly at that point in sports broadcasting. Definitely. That's where I wanted was to Was there any other avenue to even have a crack at that or was 2REM really locally the only place that I'm you could have done think. that? Good question. Because I can't imagine they were doing live they calls had from their, games. They had their old timers that had come in on a Saturday morning. They had the horse racing, which would be – they had a grant for, and that uh, brought in a lot of uh, income for the station. But uh, they did, I think they did the occasional game, and they were taking calls from the community radio in, in Wangaratta every now and again. Okay. But it, it, it all revolved around the racing back then and the multicultural grants they'd get. That's where a lot of their money had come from. And to this point, still a lot today with their sponsorships, yeah. Yeah. So... With the sports broadcasting, did you develop more interest in just the general station and the more creative maybe side of being in broadcasting then or do you think that maybe came No, I was always gung-ho on sports broadcasting and still, like I say to this day, I'd love the the, the thrill of calling footy at the moment, which we'll get to eventually obviously, is uh, still a buzz. Some people might say, oh, it's work, it's hard work. For me, now it's a hobby. It's a get out of uh, the nine to five, Monday to Friday, and I can jump behind the microphone, cameraman by my side, and off I go, have a little bit of fun with it. It's enjoyment now. Yeah, nice. That's good to hear. Mm. So we might just move on from the local stuff. Yep. When did you start to see opportunities to, in the radio business more specifically as a career, and did that come from the Griffith station first or were you bound? Did you go no, somewhere else? there's and then- a good story to this. Good question. So I was doing 107.3 and working in a servo at the time, uh, serving fuel. Yep. Those days of driveway service are long gone, obviously. But that was my job. I was out. This is back in the day, kids, when people would actually walk out and put your fuel in for you, I'm assuming. Exactly. Yeah, driveway service. And then people would put $5 worth of fuel in the car, yet they'd want you to check the oil, the water, the tyres. Fair dinkum. Just check the diff while you're at it, mate. Thanks. I used to get the shits with it, I tell you. Because they'd only put a little bit in, but yet they want the full service on the driveway. You're trying to serve customers, juggle people going in and out of the shop for ice cream and yeah. and stuff like that. And I knew That's this hilarious. wasn't for me. Yeah, I know. It is funny <laughs> now that you look back at it. But back in the day. and Those old folks know how to save a dollar, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. And then they'd try and light up a cigarette with the windows up. Yeah, yeah. And i go, no, mate, I'm going to have to turn the pumps off if you light that thing up because I don't want to be lit up. Yeah. But my heart was always with what I was going to do with regard to radio on the weekend or whenever I could get back in the studio. And another one of those uh, kitchen table conversations with mum, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Now that the, the uh, hardware store had closed and I was just doing a bit of part-time work at the servo, I said, yeah, I've still got the burning desire to get into the media. So... Mum, as mums always will do for their children, 
she uh, made it her point to find a way for me to get into the media. And she was awesome. I, I love my mum to bits. She is absolutely a ripper. <laughs> She's beaten breast cancer twice. And she puts up with dad, myself, and my sister, and she's really been a guiding light in certain times. But uh, she was just thumbing through the uh, what was the Melbourne Sun at the time, the Herald Sun. Yeah. And there was an ad for Gary Mack Radio School, Melbourne Radio School, and it was $900, I think, or I, I'm not sure what mum paid. I think it was around the $900,000 mark for a 16-week course. And Gary Mack, for those who aren't familiar with Melbourne Broadcasting, he's interviewed everyone. You walked into his classroom and on the wall everywhere was Dion White, Bee Gees. I don't think he had a photo of the Beatles, but uh, all those sort of acts through the 60s and 70s. And Jeannie Little, I'm trying to close my eyes and see the pictures on the wall, but there were literally 50, 60-odd photos in five-by-seven frames of everyone in his studio that he'd interviewed, and they're all big names. The name just – it's funny you mention that name, not to derail us too much, but I just spoke to a gentleman by the name of Paul Connick. Yeah, from Wangaratta. Yeah, who also – he did some of the biggest stations in Melbourne. He'd be in the same league as Gary Mack. I think that he may have meant – I don't think we made it to the recording. I think it was before the record he actually mentioned that Mm. particular name and said – there were some big-voiced individuals down in Melbourne at the time. Yeah, definitely. And Gary Mack, they used to call them the Wrinklies or something on 3EK, <laughs> you know, back in the day. And photos of him smoking in a studio, you look at it and you go, geez, they really let that thing go on, you know? Yeah. And he'd have the turtleneck sweaters on, he'd have photos with all these, the Seekers, and, oh, the list was just the, – the photos on the wall just – I was bedazzled when I walked in there. So as a young, a young buck going in there – and those acts sound like they maybe were a generation before before you. Yeah, and in, in it taste. was now Gary's time yeah. to mentor, and he has mentored hundreds of successful. So was that intimidating walking in there, being a, a kid from not at all. Nothing really. Intimidates or did you feel me. like okay, this is really the place I need to be? Exactly spot on. I knew this was. I could see all the lights, and I could see the system in there, the studio we're going to use, and I loved it. I'm, and this is the other thing: it was only on a Wednesday night. Six till nine, three hours a week, and Mum paid for me to stay in motels. Uh, Mum paid for my train ticket. The train uh, actually was running back yeah, then. Yeah, quite successfully. Did at they that have time. air conditioning? Yeah, they did actually. Wow, it really worked. <laughs> That's amazing. But uh, Mum paid for my train ticket, and I did that. It should have been a twelve or fourteen week course. It was all abruptly brought to an end, though, but with a, a, a good cause. Yeah. So by, I think, week 12, I think I got two and I was whistling Dixie, learning how to copyright, write ads, uh, deliver an appropriate program. But I had most of that under my belt already because I'd had community radio experience. Yeah. Others in the class, they'd come in and they had no idea. As I spoke about earlier, you could tell when somebody's got the X factor and somebody hasn't. Yeah. And there were people coming in and... You just go, no, 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 this isn't the course for you. But I knew I was in the right place at the right time. And week 12 rolled around of whatever, 14 or 16 weeks, and Gary Mack, he had Dean Pickering under his wing, who at the time was the program director at 2AY and B104.9 in Albury. 
Now, I say the name Dean Pickering. I don't know whether that rings a bell with you. It does, but I'm not sure why. I'll tell you why. He's the copper on Highway Patrol. It says, you've blown a cricket score. Don't touch me. And I quite <laughs> often have a look. He's one of the coppers on the Channel 7 program, Highway Patrol yeah, yeah. now. he's And he's more a media officer for the police and he is involved in uh, being out in the streets and the beat now. And he's my old boss, Dean Pickering. Yeah, right. And <laughs> i got so much respect for Dean. He gave me a shot because Gary uh, politely knocked on his door as an ex-student. He said, why haven't you hired this bloke? Yeah. And I'd left t- back in the day cassette tapes with Dean and they'd never obviously gotten past X point, but then once Dean Pickering uh, took a phone call from Gary Mack at the Melbourne Radio School, why ever you hired this young bloke? Yeah. Um, it was a matter of just time before I got that gig. So That's awesome. So yeah. just before we bring you home for that period for yep. 2AY or whatever it was so we, we get to, yep. do you recall any contact of any kind? Because that's something that's outside of radio is – people when they're trying to get into something Mm. there's a balance between doing what you know you need to do which i'm assuming was sending in air checks yeah and kind of balancing i know from my band days putting in proposals for gigs or sending out demos there's a certain amount of rejection in a lot of industries did you find that it was more a case of you just wouldn't hear anything exactly yeah yeah whereas in in the music business you're more likely to hear no bugger off leave me alone i'm saying no yeah. That this is done, but obviously but, not so much with this particular gentleman. He I just, was always told keep going back, keep banging on their door, yeah, until they you know really get furious. Well, that's, a, that's a much more positive mm. outlook than maybe the music business. Where until yeah. Gary Max stepped in and said something to Dean, I'm not sure what the context of that phone call was or how uh, he kicked Dean in the tail. But yeah, he Gary obviously Mack, thought you had something, and he knew I had what, something. If you're running a school. Mm. Just like with the university, I know Charles Sturt, where I am an alumni, every year I'll get an email about the graduation rate being so high for Charles Sturt compared to a lot of other unis. It's what you push. You want people to actually get a job when you're running a school. So Then it was a matter of wait and see where I'd fit in because at the time, Dean didn't have anything. Sorry, just to clarify, Brad, Mm. 2AY and 104.9 were under the same... Yeah. uh, Was it the same content team or the same business... Completely. They were the same uh, station as stations do partner each other nowadays, yeah. but back in the old Dean Street Studios upstairs, and I'm trying to think of the network it was back then when I first signed, DMG, I DMG, think. Yeah. yeah, back in the early 90s. Uh, early 90s, yeah, yeah, it was. So yeah. early mid-90s. just before we get, get too far down the road, can you just tell us who, where did you actually end up? When you came back, did you have a preference in mind where you were thinking, well, I think I'd really be better at that than maybe be- than that or 104.9's a path to music presenting yeah. whereas or a morning show or something, whereas 2AY might be, that might be a future chance at doing more sport or talk or did you have any feeling where you might I think fit? Dean and uh, Gary both seen that I was easily adaptable. Uh, so eventually, like I said, I ended up, in the studios where I'd gone in and I'd collected my prizes and there was a little revolving swinging door. I thought, one day I'm going to work in there. <laughs> I'm going to work in there. Yeah, that's nice. And I finally had that opportunity not to go through that door, but I could if I was going out to lunch or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I was in the stage door out the back there, uh, Macaulay Street, 
and going up the stairs and I was talking to uh, Barry McCall, Crash, otherwise Big Mouth Media, and uh, he does a lot of the Prime 7 stuff you hear. Okay. The AFL. He's yeah. got a bit of an accent. Yep. And I was working with uh, Bill Coe, Ty, uh, Steve Bowen, yep. uh, all those sort of people doing breakfast. Justin Smith is now on 3AW. Okay. Justin and Louise are in the morning. Yeah. And I'd made it. But in a proviso that I was there on weekends and anything Dean said, he'd say jump and I'd say how high. Rightio, you've got to go to Kuatong and do some uh, crosses for us in the star, in the, was it star Cruiser, the B Cruiser or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I left here in Albury and it was easy early 20s. Got up there and it was only 12 degrees. I was in shorts and a light shirt. Yeah. And it was free, Falls Creek. I had to go up there and do crosses back to Bilco in the studio. And, yeah, Saturdays and Sundays were my thing. And as Dean's confidence with me grew, I started expanding and then he started throwing me all over the place. Yeah, okay. So let's maybe talk about that. When you say all over the place, do you mean different parts of the week in different shows or do you mean actually different physical locations? Okay, let me uh, explain, yeah. Uh, this is leading on to the next chapter of my radio career was Dean and say, all right, uh, I'm trying to think of his name, uh, such and such is going on holidays for two weeks. I need you to go and stay in Griffith. We'll put you up in a motel. You can come home weekends, still do the B104.9 weekends and 2AY weekends as required and still be on air at 2WG in Wagga, uh, 93.1 Star FM in Wagga, or it might be uh, 963-2RG in Griffith or 99.7 Star FM back in the day uh, in Griffith. So I was continually going nearly seven days a week for a few months there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. So that would have been a just a crash course on how to do it right and oh. how, how to survive on very little sleep. and Very – oh, look, I had plenty of sleep. I was always well looked after that way because yeah. it would only be – but there were days where I'd go in and panel John Laws on 2WG. Then I'd be on in the afternoons on 93.1 yeah. 2W uh, Star Wagga, whatever it was called, but yeah, Star Wagga. And just for people that aren't familiar at all with mm. what you mean by panel, can you just explain what it is when someone hears, what do you mean panel, John? Oh, right. Yeah, fair call. Good question. It's a matter of sitting in the studios and when they go to ad breaks, making sure you hit your ad break. Your local content. Yeah, the local yeah. content fires. This is before, way before the day of automation and voice tracking. There was a, an element of voice tracking, but it was in its infancy back then and it was – yeah, fire the ad breaks, make sure everything went tickety-boo with the broadcast. They'd have pulses they'd send down the line and you might have to record some weather, uh, local information that went into those ad breaks and just ensure that the whole program for John Laws, Mr Laws, yeah. at his end, uh, flowed smoothly. Yeah, okay, that's good. We've got some clarification because yeah. we don't want to get too radio jargony yeah, without exactly. explaining what we're talking about. Just mm. so when people hear a show that comes from somewhere else, so Kate, Tim and Marty is a perfect example. That's on bunches of syndication now in the afternoon. Those ads are a certain length, really, yeah. locally, for the purely for the reason that... So essentially nowadays, yeah. they'll go quiet and shut up, silent. So let's say their end goes silent. That allows, like you say, three and a half minutes or four minutes worth of commercials to go in locally here in Albury, Townsville, Mildura, wherever the network is, and then they'll come back on. If they're doing a live broadcast, 
because yep. a lot of that is pre-recorded now and time shifted through the day. So Melbourne or the Cap City will get it first and then we might be an hour behind. Yep. Say the Rush Hour or Kennedy Malloy or yeah. Or I don't want to give away the smoke and mirrors of radio, but no. yeah, and the ad slots in and then back to program. Yeah. So you were even though you were doing a lot of on-air stuff, you were also responsible for you were, I'm assuming you were there by yourself when you were doing that kind yep. of stuff. So John Law is one of the biggest media personalities in the country. You don't want to be responsible for his show not reaching the audience. Exactly. So what did you find hardest about that early time? Was it the was it being on air, not knowing how to do that as well as you'd like, or was it more that technical stuff? Or? Well, I've got a good answer for that. And it was a system, it was an antiquated system in Wagga. <laughs> and it actually, literally, I was in tears on the phone back to mum in Albury. And I said, Mum, I just can't work this system. I don't know what it is because it was a system that literally had racks and racks of CDs out the back and it had like a robotic selector that went like a, like a jukebox <laughs> and it would pull the CD out and then throw it into whatever it went into. I remember seeing it and it just looked like racks and racks of just CDs out of their cases sitting there waiting to go. And... It was this is automation back in the early nineties and the arm would move along like you've selected a can of coke and it'd pluck it out and then throw it in and and I said, Mum, I just can't work I was upset and I said to Dean, I said, I just can't get my head around this system. And Jamie Chalks, um I know he's still in radio. They used to call him Chucky. He sat with me and he said, You've got to be four or five steps ahead of where you need to be. Yeah, okay. And then it clicked. <laughs> and I had it whistling Dixie and everything was tickety-boo. Okay, that's great. So once I knew I had to be four or five steps, so if it was playing Savage Garden, I always knew I loved you. I knew I had to be three or four events ahead of what was going on to air to make that thing work for me. Okay. Well, so a- you get there in the end. It's a matter of bastardising the system to make it work for you. Yeah. It's just funny that you talk about that being the early 90s. We're mm. talking about the same time where they made Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park. That's right. Like a, and that what you're talking about sounds like it's from a like not just a different century but a different epoch like <laughs> whereas yeah, things literally like, I think it was maybe late 80s technology that just hung around. Yeah. And I think at the time they knew they were moving from, is it Fitzmaurice Street? What's the main street in Wagga Wagga? Fitzmaurice. Uh, well, that's the old main street. Where the, yeah, yeah, where the main street is, you know, they, they've still got the 2WG flashing neon sign there just out of Heritage. That's where we were. And I was a couple of windows back towards the lagoon. And they knew they were moving out to the the old Prime or new Prime Television Studio. So I think they just sort of, all right, let's sticky tape it together and put band aids on it and make it work. I think we all come across that at yeah. parts of our jobs or volunteering or whatever. Mm. So essentially, I was there filling in the gaps till Potsy and Leighton come along. Yeah. And so I think Jamie was doing breakfast. I never did breakfast in Wagga, but though I was the spack filler until Potsy and Leighton got there. And eventually they got there and they've only just in the last couple of years, oh, they were flicked over to Triple M and they've only just pulled the pin on their successful breakfast career. In All in Wagga. All, yeah, from that all point in Wagga. They raised money for their Ronald McDonald house over there as a introduction. Boom, here we are, Wagga Wagga. This is who we are. Yeah. And that Ronald McDonald house is still going. It's got a gold plaque on the yeah. stating the date they opened it, thanks to Potsy and Leighton. 
yeah, to be honest, until I went to Wagga, I didn't even actually know that there were physical locations. I was mm. I, and this is no reflection on that group because it's an amazing cause. But I had my suspicions as a kid that it was a pyramid scheme. <laughs> I was like, well, I've never, I've never actually seen a building. No. There's a lot of donations, but and then I got to Wagga the first time I played a gig over there, and I was like, wow. That's there pretty, is actually yeah. a Ronald McDonald House, and they are. They're fantastic. They yeah. look after families, and Potsy and Leighton got involved with that. And I think because Wagga also takes through my life in Griffith, I know people went over there and stayed for the hospital. And it's not just Griffith, it's and it's not just Wagga. It's Lake Kajeliga, it's Darlington Point. You can stay at Ronald McDonald House, and they'll look after you when you need to be looked after when it's hospital time. Well, that's excellent. So did you know, though, that that was the role that you were going to stay in during a time of war. No, I Did never knew where I was going to be from one week to okay. the next. Dean might so say- So it wasn't on the horizon that you would end up with a more permanent shift in Wagga itself. Or it could have been Wagga or Griffith, but that's what I was working towards. Yeah. And you could smell it in the air. Like You could see that Dean was testing me. Yeah. And there were other people who came and went and weren't as dedicated as what I was. I had a little kit bag that I used to have in the car, pens, highlighters, notepads, uh, rulers, anything you might need to do an on-air shift. So then I essentially walked into a studio that wasn't mine. I made it mine for that shift. I had my bags. I didn't touch anyone else's pens because Radiance is really funny about that or their notepads. So essentially I cleared just a small little bit in the desk so then I could work get out of there, and it was like I was never there. But if you want to go back on the logger, I was definitely there. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so when did that become more of a, let's just say, a permanent shift? Was that, well, okay. are, we, are we moving to Griffith now? Yeah, that, definitely, yeah. yeah. So as a result of that, floating in Griffith, floating I mean by the term. Sorry, Brad, I should have said, I meant to ask before, did you actually envisage the fact that you would get to do even – those pieces, parts kind of radio things mm. so close to where you grew up? No. That, that's not the experience. That's luck of the draw. It yeah. was luck of the draw that they were building Aubrey up as to be the hub. Yeah. And there was a hub up in Queensland, I think Townsville, the Gold Coast, and the other one was here in Aubrey for DMG at the time. They were building in the old Baltimore building. Okay. And it, it just happened the network that Dean looked after uh, was Aubrey Wodonga, Wagga, Dubbo, Griffith, Mildura, all that sort of thing. And so floating and bouncing between floating is when I just – this is the term in radio where I am. I'm literally floating between Albury, That's Griffith, probably better to have Wagga. one point in that triangle be your hometown though. Yeah, exactly. And it just – it works so beautifully for Dean. It worked for me wanting to get back into radio. Murray Peters uh, needed two weeks off in Griffith. I got the phone call through Loretta Smith and she said, oh, yeah, we need somebody up here, plus I want holidays. <laughs> then there was uh, Kim Beals. She needed holidays. So I essentially lived out a, a bag and my studio bag for roughly nearly 12 months, filling in the gaps. When people needed holidays, I'd go over. Generally, the afternoon announcer drop in a breakfast and then I do the afternoon shifts. Yep. And I was just filling the gaps for so long. And then Dean said, Rightio, time to step up the big time. Uh, breakfast came up and he's almost like a brother to me now. And I spoke to him today 
uh, my mate Liam Renton. Uh, he had breakfast in Griffith. And he lives on the line. He lives on the line. I was only there 93 days or 91 days. <laughs> he always stirs me with that. But now we are literally brothers. We are okay. that close. <laughs> he, When I was married in 2007, he was my MC, And I consider him uh, a mentor, a friend, a legend. Uh, and we'd talk. We used to talk when I was out of work every day. Because he knew I had some rough patches there where I was upset and frustrated with life and yep. didn't have a girlfriend, uh, haven't been in a relationship for a long time. That was frustrating me. Uh, life was frustrating me. I was missing radio. I was uh, out of work. Nothing was going right. Health was deteriorating for a little bit there. And he was always on the phone. Literally to the point where I can spew his phone number at bang and <laughs> nauseam because he was just a great FaceTime calls. And he said to me, we're going to Dubbo. And so Dean was obviously impressed with all that. They're, they were launching the Dubbo Star FM because Star FM was a brand new station in Dubbo. And as a result of uh, Liam and Loretta moving on, and I'll make sure it's Liam and Loretta because he pulled me up in the hallway one day when I was filling in and saying, it's Liam and Loretta, you know that. <laughs> it looked me straight in the eye and he had this canteen banner on and I just looked him back and I said, what's going on, Sinbad? Yeah. All I could see was a big pirate beard, bandana. They packed up and racked off to Dubbo and that gave me the door was wide open for me on Star FM to do my own bricky shift. Yeah. 